what I what I tell my clients is if you think about process, I want you to imagine that you have to give the person all of their money back plus double, right? If you don't get the outcome, just imagine that for a second, like get it into your, into your emotional being, right? And then after you get through the fear of that for a second, guess what? You're going to add in so much additional process. You're listening to the Client Catching Podcast, the show that uncovers how high-performing service-based business leaders are successfully navigating the ocean of complexity around growing their business. Now, as anyone with the talent and guts to start a business knows, it takes a lot more to grow one than just being great at what you do, and you can't do it alone. So this podcast will show you how other captains of their own ship, just like you, have found the right strategy to catch more clients, simplified everything, and transform their business. So if you're ready to do the same, then jump aboard and join me, Adam King, host and the captain at Think Like a Fish, and let's go fishing. Hey, it's Adam here, and thanks so much for tuning into the show today. Now, before we dive into the episode, I just wanted to let you know how you can get hold of a free copy of my book, Conversational Relationship Marketing. Because inside, you're going to find 10 golden rules for B2B and professional service firms that consistently create client sales opportunities and drives revenue growth. And you'll find out how to do all of that using professionalism, ethics, and good manners. So what you can do to get your free copy is go to the podcast gift page at thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift. And when you get hold of the book, what you're going to discover is a simple strategy to ensure that you consistently have a full calendar of motivated and qualified ideal potential clients who want to discuss doing business with you. And what I'm literally doing is giving away the exact entire strategy that my clients pay thousands to implement with them. Not only that, I share throughout the book links to templates, frameworks and workbooks that you can use to actually implement this strategy and get results. And it's all for free, no strings attached. In fact, there isn't even an opt-in. So please make sure you go and grab your copy on the podcast gift page at thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift. And if you want to grab some of the other gifts and resources that I offer there, please help yourself. So I hope you go and get the book. I hope you read it. And more importantly, I hope you do something with it. And when you do, I'd love to get your feedback on the results that you've got. But until then, let's get to today's episode. Oh, hello and welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. Now, I want to set up today's interview uh, with a bit of a question. And that is, what do you really think happens when your business scales and grows? Now, you see, the promise of scale is being essentially able to earn more while doing less. Yet, the reality can sadly be quite different. Because what often happens to many entrepreneurs and business owners when their business grows and becomes successful is they ultimately become pretty trapped by that success. Now, this usually happens because your entire business model, it's kind of been destined for a dead end at the very beginning. And that's not necessarily anyone's fault because you know what it's like. You start a business because it's your passion and all that kind of thing. And you don't necessarily start and design it with the end in mind. And that end in mind is having a business that you own and that can largely run without you. Now, obviously, that's the bad news. And don't worry, there is some good news coming because changing your business model, it's not difficult. In fact, you probably have all the right tools right now at your fingertips. Because if you've got experience creating amazing results for your clients, you're pretty much ready to go. And there is even better news because 
My guest today is an absolute master at helping you scale a service business without killing yourself in the process. Now, he helps service providers and consultants turn their six-figure practice into a seven-figure business. And he's built, built and sold tech startups as well as consulted for the largest international corporation in high-tech, finance, and retail on four continents. And today, he takes what he's used to teach in the Fortune 500 and applies it to entrepreneurs looking to scale their business. Now, he's also a three-time author, a speaker, strategist, and the host of the podcast, The Six to Seven Figure Show. Now, his latest book is called Scalable Consulting. Use a high-ticket program to transform your six-figure practice into a seven-figure enterprise. So, as I'm sure there's many of you out there that would love to learn how to do this, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome my guest today, Frank Breer, onto the show. So, Frank, welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. Adam, thanks so much for having me. It's a real honor to be here. Yeah, we're on a, I think we just sort of touched on it. We're a, I'm going to date the podcast ever so slightly, but we're on a bit of a, a slightly historic day, I guess, for um, us here on this side of the pond. And uh, you guys are going through your own history. And, and that is we've just started our national lockdown and uh, you guys are um, trying to figure out who's going to be the guy in the White House. So, yeah, I, um, think, I think we wish we were going into lockdown. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... And, and that sort of brings to mind that there is a lot of change going on. There's turbulence yeah. out there in, in, in the world, at, you know, at large and all the rest of it. And I guess that can be almost seen as a bit of a metaphor for how businesses are developed. You know, it's turbulence. There's a lot of things going on. And we sort of touched on it in the uh, introduction there. But before we sort of touch on to some of the things I really want to cover today, I was just sort of be keen to get your and curious to get your sort of views on how things have been changing in the last six months within businesses. Right. Well, yeah, that's true. So, you know, again, going back to what today, you know, the, the today of of, uh, of when this podcast was uh, is being recorded, you know, we, we've been going through a crazy year. I mean, I don't think anyone would have ever predicted or expected what was going to happen. And for service businesses in particular, it has been a, a, a mixed bag. Uh, you know, I've we have some business owners that have been, you know, their their incomes have been completely decimated by uh, what has happened. And then you have other business owners who are, you know, I, I've talked to a number of them where they they kind of say, Frank, I, I don't want to say this out loud, but this is the best year we've ever had. Um, and it really does come down to a business model and taking advantage of the trends that are there. Um, you know, there's some business owners that see trends quickly and jump on them and make changes. And then there are some that don't. Um, and I'm not saying that's anyone's particular fault, but I think what we do have to recognize is that as entrepreneurs, we have to be ready for change. We have to be ready because it's not like change is something that comes. It's not like, oh, there'll be change next week. No, there's change right now. Like change is happening all the time and we have to be ready for it. We have to be able to recognize it, see it where it's there. We have to be able to know if it applies to us right? If we're going to have to do something about it. And then we have to make quick decisions to react to it. And I think the inability for an entrepreneur to, to make a decision to react to change is probably one of the key factors in whether or not that entrepreneur is going to struggle. Uh, that making quick decisions and reacting to new information is 
probably the number one success factor for a CEO of any company of any size. Yeah, it's, and, and that's something that's come up a, a fair amount of times um, with other guests on the show as well. It's it's that adaptability factor. It's right. being able to spot opportunity, but also spot danger coming around the corner and 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 pivoting is is the uh, the buzzword that's going around at the moment. But that's it, it. Kind of encapsulates some of the things that people need to be thinking about. And and it's interesting that yeah, change is an ever present. You know, the only thing constant in life is change, as uh, the famous quote goes. And and I think that there's two types of change. There's change that you can anticipate, and there's change that you can't. So there's kind of the proactive change and the uh, reactive change. And we've had to react to a certain degree to the circumstances and that kind of change. That's the thing that I think everybody is focusing on or, or, or heavily focused on because that's the thing that's shouting loud right in their face. And it's the thing that is, is requiring the most attention right now. But I think that the type of change that I certainly feel that, that you have your expertise in and it, we sort of touched on it in, in the introduction is, is that change around a model and a business model. And that's, that's something that can be more proactive and you can consider it. Um, so why don't you sort of describe what you mean in terms of what's, what's the kind of before business model that you see people struggling with and the after business model that you help them to put into place that helps them achieve the scale that we're, we're all after. Yeah, the so the, the uh, service business life cycle is pretty common. So as as you mentioned, it's something that we see. It's a pattern. It happens again and again. Um, but yet, it's really difficult to adjust to. And there's there's a number of reasons for that. But let's just describe the life cycle first. So f- first of all, most people in service businesses will start out um, essentially being the product, right? I am the product. I will do something. I've got a, I've got knowledge or you know, I've got time or whatever it is I can sell. So uh, this is particularly true with consultants. Um, you know, a consultant will go out, they'll either leave a job or an existing uh, experience and they'll leverage that experience then for other clients. And so you got people, you know, and you're like, hey, I'm a smart person, like hire me, I can come in and fix that. And of course, the people who know you and know you're a smart person, they're going to hire you. They're going to bring you in and you're going to do that. Um, and so Almost every service business starts off with the idea that the entrepreneur is the product, is the the thing, the person who is going to be executing on that service. Very few service businesses just, you know, pop up one morning and suddenly it's like, oh, I've got a staff of 12. You know, that's not how it works. Uh, so that business model is successful at the beginning. It's very successful. It's a great formula. It works. In fact, I would tell anyone who's starting from scratch, that's the easiest business model to get off the ground. I mean, compare it to software, manufacturing, you know, uh, product uh, development, like any of that stuff is much more difficult. It takes a lot more investment, a lot more time It's in capital. You know, frankly, you got to put money into that stuff. But service businesses tend to be easy to start. So we launched that and we're in phase one, I would call it, um, where we're the product, right? And then we get to a place, kind of phase two, where I run out of time, you know, and I can't be the product anymore. And I, I'm not going to be able to, to sell anymore. Uh, you know, I can't bring on another client because I can't deliver anything. Or we think, well, I'll just hire somebody. Um, but the problem is, is that 
we've turned everything into us. Like we're the product. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of service businesses have a hard time hiring people because they won't do it as well as I do. Yeah, that's true. They won't like, there's no way to solve that problem. They, you, uh, you cannot hire enough of you. Why? Because you're an entrepreneur. Like, would you go hire on someplace? Probably not. So this skill, uh, the skill set that you're looking for is essentially the superstar rock star type, right? You as the entrepreneur, you're going to have a very hard time finding it. And even if you do, even if you're lucky and find one person that might fit that, uh, that role, they're probably going to go start their own thing pretty soon. Right? So it's not going to be a long-term solution to the problem. So we end up with this phase where uh, we have a growth plateau. So we've done uh, research on this in the United States. We haven't done this globally yet, but in the US, we can take a look at census statistics for businesses. And if you look at the category for consulting, it's really fascinating. You look at the incomes uh, and the, the overall revenue levels and they, they plateau out like uh, about somewhere between 250 and $400,000 US per year is about where these businesses stop. Um, they, they almost none of them get beyond that as a percentage. Now contrast that to other business types, uh, software, manufacturing, uh, retail, uh, they tend to go higher, a lot higher. And it's not because their product margin or their profit margins are that much better. Sometimes they're not, sometimes they're much, much uh, worse, but uh, the, it's just difficult to grow a service business beyond that. So, you know, we see it in the data. It's not, it's not, you're not crazy. It's not you, you know, you're not just bad at this. It's really difficult to break through that barrier as a service business. Yeah, because I think that, I mean, it's certainly the experience that so many people I talk to, I've, I've been on that roller coaster. That's exactly how, you know, you, you could have described but how, how I started, right? And, and probably everybody that you've you talk to has almost an identical story right i think as well especially you know talking um about the the changes that we're seeing and and uh you know some very smart people senior people that have been in corporate roles for example have now found themselves needing to go and maybe find something else because of their situation and the job right. market and all the rest of it now they're probably about to take this step into thinking well i've got all these years of experience I'm going to go out and become a consultant or some form of service provider based around the skill. So they kind of go into that thinking, well, I've got my network and, and all the rest of it. I'm just going to go out there and uh, hang my hang my sign on the door and um, right. yeah, I'll be fine. Different story though, isn't it? In, in reality, when it, yeah. you know, as you say, you can get to that first stage. Fairly simple if you've got a decent right. network. It's it's getting to stage two and then three, four, et cetera, that, that I guess- right you don't necessarily think about you haven't started with that end in mind that's right and you don't you, you don't realize that there is that plateau looming that's right and th and that becomes actually the the fundamental challenge for most people is that when they get to that place where they're where they're stuck it's almost like well I, I just want, all I want to do is to keep going in this direction, right? I've started off in a particular direction. I'm just going to keep pushing through. And we feel that resistance and we just think, oh, I just have to go head down into it deeper and harder and more time and more energy. But the problem is that direction is broken. That direction's dead. That, that's a dead end you're, you're on. And so this resistance you feel is not just the wind's harder and I've got to push through it. It's that 
you've reached the end of that line and it's time for you to shift. So let's let's talk about that shift. And, and I've referenced, you know, starting with the end in mind. Why don't we do that? Why don't we sort of start with the end and what the kind of that leverage and scalable service business looks like and then work back through the steps on, on sure. you know, somebody that may well be listening to this and, and they've just started or maybe they've got some success and they've been established for a few years and, you know, they're doing pretty well, but they are reaching either the plateau personally or, or in the, you know, with the business and they're having to rethink all sorts of different things. So where is the, I guess there's never an end point. We all know that in business. We even had that quick conversation at the beginning, right. but um, there's never that you never arrive at the destination, but right. where, where are you trying to get to? Yeah, so let's contrast the end with where we started, right? So when you know, we start off and we think, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to go out and do everything. The end is exactly the opposite of that, right? The end is to have a business where you can fire yourself from the business, right? So imagine having something running that doesn't need you at all. Not only are you not the product, you're not anything to it. Now, I say that in that it's your IP, it's your, you know, you created it, you ran it. But you have to think of yourself at the end as the investor. Imagine owning stock in your own business. And the only thing that you do is you open up your, you know, your statement <laughs> to take a look at how your stock is doing. Now, mm. there is a long path between starting off and getting there. But that's what I want you to imagine as the end state. The end state is you're the investor. So, there are a number of things we have to do from, from to get from here to there. But the first thing we have to think about is I need to build a business that makes me redundant. Mm -hmm. That's that's the first thing. And that's scary for people, especially when you start a consulting business, as you mentioned, Adam, because you've been let go from a position and you have to do something else. So now you're thinking, how do I make myself redundant? It's almost like it's, mm -hmm. you know, against our own. It's like cognitive dissonance, right? To think about it that way. But we have to think about processes. And so the very first question that you have to answer is what is the outcome for my client? Not what is the product, not what's my secret sauce, not what do I do, but what outcome does my client actually get out of working with me? And this one question is the thing we skip over a lot. A lot of business owners think, well, I'm trying to scale. So it's going to be all about process. It's going to be about hiring. It's going to be about growth and investment and all this stuff. And all of those things are important. But the problem is, is that all of those questions just push you further into that resistance, right? They all, they are basically the equivalent of going heads down into the wind. Um, but that's not the right direction to go in. So. We first have to ask ourselves, okay, what, what is it really that this business is about? And it's odd because we think, hey, I'm, I'm doing pretty well here. I'm doing six figures a year in income. Why, why am I thinking about these foundational questions like product? But that, in fact, is the question. We have to move in a different direction because this direction that we're in right now is not going to work. And so and there's outcome. a couple of things before you move on. There's a couple yeah. of things I want to sort of pull out of that um, sure. that, that jump out to me. And uh, and I want to sort of make sure that are are clear to anyone listening. And that's you, you sort of talk about thinking about it like an investor. And and I, I used to run a marketing department for um like wealth management and all the rest of it and talk to a lot of investors. Yeah. And the interesting thing is they have a very different mindset. Yes, they do. To <laughs> the majority of people. 
investors think leverage. They think, where am I going to get the most return? And they also think about, um, you know, they do, investors don't just go and invest in anything. They have a plan and a process and they've thought it out and, and all the rest of it. Now they will have, and they also, she's coming on to your next point, an outcome in mind. They right. will have a style of investing. Are they investing for value? Are they investing for um, the long term? You know, have they created their portfolio in a way that can actually sort of incorporate a number of different things? And, you know, I'm not an expert in in, in that side of things. It's just the way that they think is very, very different. And they, right. you know, we spend too long thinking, like, how can I use my time to build wealth? Whereas they think, how can I use leverage to build my wealth? Right. That's it's a right. very different way of. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and coming on to the thing about the outcome as well, because that's sort of the outcome that they, you know, obviously thinking, but it's so important. And you, the, the very specific point I want to, I want to sort of make clear that you said there is, it's the outcome for your client. Yes. So you build your business based on the outcome that you can achieve for a client. And most people will go into something like a service business and they will just talk about what they do. Right. That's exactly right. I'm a graphic designer, I'm a HR consultant, I'm a, a financial advisor, I'm this, that, and the other. And that is all you're thinking about. Even if you were to think ahead, right. you know, three, five years ahead, I'm still going to be providing graphic design services or financial advice. Right. That doesn't really say anything different, does it? Yeah, it does not. And and so the first the first big barrier is getting past the idea that you're a title, right? Mm -hmm. That that we just boil down what you do into a description of your skill set. Because again, that's not useful, you know? It's kind of like saying, you know, I just need to hire someone who's really good with a hammer. Well, why? <laughs> what, are, what are you doing with that hammer? You know, are you, are you going to build something? Are you going to tear something down? You know, there's lots of things you can do with that hammer. You have to sort of make a decision about what that is. Uh, but the second problem with outcome, and again, when we say outcome for your client that they care about, that this is the thing that, you know, keeps them up at two o'clock uh, at night in the morning, you know, and, and they, they wake up in cold sweats, your client. So what is it? Well, in the personal development space, this is a big challenge. So a lot of people who are in personal development will think they're claiming or, you know, stating some kind of an outcome that matters to their client when they really aren't. Um, for example, I hear a lot of people, when I ask them, what outcome do you create for your client? They'll say, I help them get clarity around their life's dream, right? I don't know what that means. I'm sorry. No one knows what that means. I hate to be kind the bearer of, of bad news. Moron, isn't it? It's like, yeah, hang on, you yeah. help people get clarity and I have no idea what you're talking about. Exactly, right. So I always tell people clarity is not an outcome. If you are if you are in the clarity business, you need to think further. And, and a lot of people uh, you know, a lot of people get stuck here. I'll, I'll give you an example. So one of my clients a few years back, she came to me and said, um, I'm having trouble expanding the business because no one kind of gets what I do. And I said, well, what do you do? And she says, well, I help female executives get work-life balance. Okay, well, we kind of all know conceptually what work-life balance means, but I asked her and I said, you know, if you saw a woman walking down the street, would you know if she had work-life balance or not? Uh, no. Uh, okay, could you ask her three questions to help her understand if she had work-life balance? Uh, no, no. So the, so how are you going to market that? Like, if you don't, if, if, if your entire audience can't even agree 
on what this looks like? How are you going to market it to people? How do you connect with them emotionally? How do you say the words that go, oh my gosh, she totally gets me. You can't. So we dug in a little bit further. And what we realized was for her clients, they applied work-life balance to achieve something in their lives that was important to them that they couldn't get any other way, right? Because most people that don't have work-life balance, other priorities are taking them off of what they really want to do, right? So she changed uh, what her, uh, her positioning was for her outcome. And she said, I help female executives with family, you know, again, so it's, we got family and career. I help uh, them set and achieve one audacious goal for the year. And by the way, if your audacious goal is reorganizing your pantry, I am not your woman, as <laughs> she would tell people. So this completely shifted what she was doing. So instead of like talking about work-life balance in some ethereal way, her entire marketing uh, campaign was transformed. She'd bring these female executives in for a free lunch, you know, she'd they'd, they'd, for an hour, she would basically get them to think about this audacious goal and, and they'd write it down and they'd stand up and they'd read it out loud and everyone would applaud. And there's all this emotional uh, momentum around this. Right. And then at the end of the lunch, she had the easiest closed job ever. She basically said, who here would like to achieve that goal this year? Raise your hand. <laughs> that was it. Like you're in. So when we align with something that people actually care about and are emotionally invested in, it is so much easier to get them to, uh, to, to sign on. Now that sounds like it's just a marketing problem, but it actually is the first step to process orientation. Because now that I know what the outcome is, I can actually build a process around that. Well, again, when it's just me and I'm just trying to be smart, and I'm going to come into your business. I mean, Think about the pitch for most consultants, right? Uh, so what we do is we kind of ask a lot of questions and we dig around till we find a problem and then we tell you about that problem. And then, you know, we're really smart about fixing it. Like that's just not a, you know, it's just not something I can repeat over and over again. In any what's, what's that that old joke is, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a consultant and I will, uh, I will steal your watch to tell you the time. Um, right. That's that's one of the <laughs> that's the Actually, that's one of those jokes. I, I had a, a Fortune 500 CEO tell me one time, so you know, large large corporation, multi multi billion dollar corporation, say, "Listen, consultants are just people that we hire to come in and tell us to do stuff we've already decided we don't want to do." <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's well, pretty close. <laughs> maybe you should do it then. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, it could be. <laughs> But um, yeah, no, it's, um, I mean, that's, that's an old joke and all the rest of it. And, uh, you know, most, most people I know um, that, that do this, they actually do provide value. Yeah, of course. But I think the reason why there is that cliche around is because people haven't gone through, you know, certainly if you're a consultant and you're going in other businesses, you haven't defined that outcome. And right. so you can't give those people clarity. And if, in, you know, thinking about that story there about the, um, the CEO, if you were a consultant that went in and said, well, this is the specific outcome that I will help you achieve. Right. He's going to actually listen rather than go, uh, yeah, not, not another one of you. I'm going to sort of keep my hand behind my back. Thank you very much. Right. Do you think though that there is a, that, that part of the reason why people don't necessarily think about it this way is, you know, partly just you don't know what you don't know. But there's a part of you as well that's kind of scared about promising an outcome. Oh, absolutely. 
I mean, we're all we're all petrified to death of failure. I mean, that that's like the 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 number one fear that any human being has. Forget entrepreneurs. Like we we just are scared of failure. We're scared of finding out that, especially you know, not to make this a gender specific thing, but a lot of men, for a lot of men, being found out as a fraud is like a deep seated fear for most men. But any any entrepreneur. Uh, is scared of failure. And so, yeah, of course, a lot of times we look at an outcome and we go, well, that's kind of scary. I don't really want to stick my neck out for that. So let's pull it back in a little bit, right? Um, I mean, think of like a social media consultant, right? So social media consultants that say, you know, we get your Twitter account working, you know, so we, we make sure the tweets go out and all the good stuff. Well, that's controllable. That's something I can feel like I've wrapped my arms around. But again, that's not what your clients like waking up at two o'clock in the morning thinking, oh, my tweets are out of control. That's not what they're mm-hmm. thinking. They're thinking I need more leads. I need more money coming in. And that's social media is supposed to serve that end. Well, if we don't, if we don't connect ourselves to that end result, then we're just a cog in the works. I mean, you know, like to kind of give an example of the auto industry. Do you want to sell brake pads or do you want to sell cars? You know, which one of those two things um, do you really want to build a company around? And I'll tell you that your client is going to be much more likely to, you got more clients that want cars than brake pads. Um, so are you going to be a cog in the wheel or are you going to actually connect to the outcome? And by the way, that doesn't mean you have to personally deliver it all, right? You're going to have strategic partners and people you can work with who deliver the pieces of that value chain that you can't do it. But absolutely, you want to be seen as the one-stop shop. You want people to come to you for that. And again, that's process. It is much easier to identify each of those steps along the way as process than it is to, you know, say, well, we just do tweets and that's it. That's all we do. And there's there's a huge piece in there that I, I don't want to... Um... I don't want to slip by. And that is, you, you talk about um, the promise, the outcome, what it is that you want to deliver, but you don't necessarily have to be the one that delivers yes. all of the moving parts that lead up to that outcome. And I think right. that's huge because that's that's a big thing to get your head around. If you're starting from a position of, this is my title, you know, I'm a financial advisor. But if you're promising an outcome that, whether or not you can necessarily, I guess, promise or work towards with just you doing that, you know, it could be I'm a uh, I'm a financial advisor, but my big outcome is to help entrepreneurs build a business that can be sold for um, a I don't know eight figure exit in ten years. Right. Like that's right. a big outcome right? You're not necessarily going to be the one that can actually do all of those moving parts. Right, right. I mean, you're not going to come up with the cash. You're not going to, you know, they still have to do the work. And I mean, financial advisor is a really great example of this, right? Financial, even if, even if you pull back the promise a little bit, financial advisor helps you, let's say, just retire, right? Retire well, right? Um, And, you know, financial advisor brings together all of this great stuff they bring together investment opportunities they bring together mutual funds and stocks and all these things that, that that's not them you know they don't do that they're bringing in partners they're bringing in other people so if you look at the largest corporations in the world that's what they do they are 
the one-stop shop for a particular thing. And they have strategic partners that they bring in. And by the way, you probably don't even know the names of those companies, right? Um, so that's the thing that you want to focus in on if for growth. You know, if you want to get to seven figures, it's not just a matter of surviving. If you want to grow 10x from a service business, you really do have to rethink, reframe where you are from a uh, business model perspective. Yeah. And um, it's, there's, again, there's, there's a few things in there that I don't think everyone always thinks about. I mean, use the word strategic partner. Um, that's a big part of my model, for example. It's, yeah. you know, you, and, and even the introduction to this podcast is, um, I, I even sort of say that um, you can't do this alone. Building a business is not easy. You can't do it alone. You'll need people that work for you on your team. You need people that are in your industry, helping you, strategic partnerships, um, all sorts of other people. But even if you are just a one-man band, right, right. you still That's need right. other people. Like you can't do it on your own. It's absolutely impossible. Right. Yeah, you can't do it on your own and you can't do it with all of the stuff that you thought was working. You know, the, the metaphor I like to use is like a rocket ship. You know, as a rocket ship is going off into space, what happens? It gets to a certain stage and it jettisons the entire lower section. So, so we, we don't think about this, but this is actually a big mindset problem for a lot of entrepreneurs. That bottom section of the rocket contained all of the fuel that got the rocket to that spot. And what does the rocket have to do? If it wants to continue to move on forward, it has to jettison that entire section. So for us, that's like, wait a minute, I don't want to jettison all of the stuff that got me successful. This is the model that I've been using that got me to where I am today. I don't want to jettison that. But what happens if the rocket doesn't jettison that lower section? It falls back down to earth. Like it does not get to continue on in its trajectory. And that is a big problem for a lot of us. We, we get stuck with this idea that everything I've been doing up till now has been working. And so shifting off of that feels like danger. It feels dangerous, right? But it's exactly what we have to do. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's very, very common. And that's, that's kind of like the sweet spot. Um, that I like working with people with. They've got to that point where what they've been doing to get them to one level is not going to take them to the next. And they're in that yeah. crossroads. It's like, I don't actually know what to do. I'm established, I'm successful, but I can't seem to get through to the next phase. And I, I really just don't know what to do. And that is a common thing. And there's a great book. Um, I don't know whether you've uh, read it by um, Michael Masterson, Ready, Fire, Aim. And that's oh, a, yeah. a book that yeah. basically it talks about the different layers of a business and the essentially you almost have to reinvent your business at, at certain levels as you grow right. and as you scale and that for anyone just is, is worth reading even if you're right at the beginning because it kind of gives you the ability to predict where you're going to go and what you're going to need to think about next that without that sort of foresight you, you know it, it comes as that the change comes as that surprise it's like yeah. whoa i wasn't expecting this like actually you can, I guess, preempt the challenges on the way by just learning from other people that have been there before and, and, and are actually sharing their knowledge. And um, yeah, that, that's, that's my recommendation in, in terms of sort of thinking about where you are in terms of um, um, size of business and growth level and scale and, and all that kind of thing. So yeah, that's a great book, it really is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he knows, he knows what he's talking about. Um, grew a, <laughs> or part of a, Agora, wasn't he? Um, yeah, uh, 
I used to do some work for them a while ago. They're um, <laughs> they're an incredible company. Like when you get into inside and you see what process looks like, it's incredible. Um, but uh, side point. So <laughs> let's let's talk about then what it what's what's then the actual deliverable to a client yeah. of a scalable service business because maybe that's not 100% clear in terms of okay kind of get it from a conceptual point of view but what am i actually doing right so essentially it's at this point now that you've rethought the direction and we now have an outcome oriented focus we're actually set up for success okay and it then becomes people and processes and i've got the order backwards processes first then the, then the people to execute them so once we have an outcome i can now set up what that process is going to look like. And, uh, you know, what are the steps that I need to take my client through? Every single client is going to be starting from the same point, right? So we call that A, and we want to get them to the same point, say Z. So how do I get them from A to Z, right? Uh, and writing down literally every single one of these things in uh, and understanding what what that process is going to look like. And this is an incredibly important exercise because the moment what a lot of entrepreneurs do is they will go through that process and they'll, they'll hit a place and then they'll go, well, now it depends, <laughs> right? Now it depends. If they're this, we have to do that. And if they're that, we have to do this. And that right there is your warning sign that there's a problem. Hmm. Anytime you hit it, it depends, you're going to run into trouble. And the it depends is a function of I don't have a clear enough definition of it either exactly who the person is that I'm working with and the state that they're in or exactly the outcome I want to get them, right? Hmm. So this, it depends is still ambiguity that we have to iron out of our business model. So once you can write down the steps without any, it depends along the way, then you have, you're set up for success in a, uh, a repeatable process that I can staff and do over and over and over again. I mean, we really have to think about this like a manufacturing line, you know? Again, going back to cars. If I'm making cars, there isn't a place in the manufacturing line where the cars split off into two different directions, you know? Because, well, sometimes we're gonna do this and sometimes we're gonna do that. Like, it's the same manufacturing line. And um, a lot of the things that we think are different are actually really the same. So, you know, it doesn't matter what color the car is because on that last step, when it paints all of the metal, different colors come out of the paint machine, but it's still the same stage. So we have to kind of think very creatively through this process. Like how do I, how do I do the most um, for, for the most amount of people with the least amount of change to process? So that's the first thing you have to do is, is get the processes right. And then it comes down to people. Now, uh, it's not about hiring a bunch of people because that's, again, a big mistake that a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs make is they start hiring people. Oh, you know, uh, if I, if I can never do this task ever again, I'd be happy. So let's go on to Upwork and let's find somebody who can do this for me, you know, as an example. But that's actually a formula for failure because you're not staffing the right thing. You're just staffing the painful thing. And that's not necessarily the, the right thing to do. So what, what we do with a lot of our clients is we'll take them through an exercise where you actually write down an org chart for the company, an organizational chart for the very first time. And people are like, uh, I'm, I, it's just me. It's just going to be one box at the top. And so we talk about functional org charts. So forget who staffs them, but your company 
if you think about this process, and again, you have to have the process down first. And that, again, that's a big mistake people make. Figure out the process and then you can actually write down, well, I'm going to need three people to do this part and one person to do this part. And you can actually write out this full org chart and identify the skill set of the person that needs to be there. And they should be very specific. I need a writer, you know, I need a Facebook ad marketing expert or whatever. You, you can actually put skill sets associated with these boxes. And then you go through and you put names in all the boxes. And at the very beginning, it may be Frank, 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 and all the boxes because I'm doing all the work myself. That's okay. But now you know exactly what functions you're going to have to hire for and you can start to prioritize them. Okay, well, I actually, the first person I need is a writer. I need a writer. So that's the first hire I'm going to make. It's going to cost me this. This is how many clients I'm going to have to have in order to afford it. But now we're making strategic decisions about staffing the organization, as opposed to me waking up in the morning and going, oh my gosh, I have to answer customer emails again. I'm going to drive, it's going to drive me crazy. So let me get a VA in here to do it. Like, we have to be really strategic about what the choices are rather than um, just kind of responding as we go. So by setting up process and then having a, a functional org chart that helps you understand what your people needs are going to be, that is uh, how you plan for the scale. And and I think that, and this comes up a lot as well around the importance of process and systems and all the rest of it. And And yeah. this is always from people that have, achieved a success and they've they've got a business you know they they've got a lot of experience and they all talk about the importance of process unfortunately what a lot of people hear when they think process is ah what i no no i'm not process minded i can't create right. processes like or oh god it's the most boring thing i just want to kind of be a free happy entrepreneur that just right figures it out as he goes and blah, 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 and all that kind of thing. Right. So I think it's really difficult until you feel that pain so much to help somebody understand why process is so important. But if you had to sum it up, what, why would you say the process is one of, I believe it's one of the most important fundamentals after your offer and, and the outcome that you're promising your client? What would you say to someone? Yeah, because uh, business growth is about automation, fundamentally. And what is automation? Automation is taking something that works and doing it again and again and again and again and again. And if you don't have that thing that works at the beginning, there's nothing to automate. There's nothing to grow. Um, imagine how difficult it is if you, let's say you wanted to build a 10-story building, right? So I build the first story of the building and then I knock it down. <laughs> And I build that first story again and I knock it down and then I build it again and I knock it down because I've, I've got nothing to build on. Right. Mm -hmm. If I want to build 10 stories, I'm going to have to build the first and then build on top of that first thing. So without a process, that's basically what we're doing to our business every single day is we're knocking down the first story of the building every single morning we wake up, you know. 100%. And I, I've kind of led you with that question because what it what it brings <laughs> on to and your answer brings me on to, um, it, it kind of links it to that sort of talking about the outcome and then how people might be fearful of making a promise around an outcome. And how can I make that promise? 
Well, you, you can make that promise when you've created a repeatable process that nigh on guarantees that yes. outcome. That is exactly right. And when, when people, because people, again, in the service business, get hooked onto this word guarantee and they start to freak out, right? And I'm not talking about, like, because I talk about you need to be able to guarantee the outcome of your client. I don't mean that in a legal sense, right? You don't have to be, like, legally guaranteeing. In fact, I think legal guarantees, like money-back guarantees and things like that, they're lazy. That's the lazy way out. What I what I tell my clients is, if you think about process, I want you to imagine that you have to give the person all of their money back plus double, right? If you don't get the outcome, just imagine that for a second, like get it into your into your emotional being, right? And then after you get through the fear of that for a second, guess what? You're going to add in so much additional process to make sure, right? It's like, okay, well, so I guess if I have to double guarantee the results, I better call my client before the due date to make sure they're really okay to give me back the things that they need on that due date, right? So we start to put in things like accountability. We start to put in things like mentorship into our service business. And uh, and that that wouldn't have shown up in the process at all if we had thought about it. It's easy for me to say, oh, well, uh, just start in with what we do. And if you don't like it, I'll give you your money back in 30 days. Like that didn't, that didn't force me to think anything about how to support my clients in actually getting that outcome. All I did is I said, well, I guess we'll have a refund rate of 8%. So we'll increase prices by 8% in order to cover the additional refund rate, you know, or whatever, right? Um, that's lazy. That's lazy. I, it really does come down to exactly as you mentioned, we have to think about all of these different things. And when you do that, then yeah, you, you basically are guaranteeing the outcome because the process, you know, if I go through one, two, three, four, five, there's no way I can't get them to where they want to go. And I, and I agree that the whole sort of thing around, you know, guarantee like that, that word, it instantly triggers yes. something in people's mind. It is kind of like, oh, well, that gives me an out or it gives right. me a reason to, to stop or when things get tough, oh, I've got 30 days and oh, I never got round to it or mm, I'm just going to stop. Like that gives people an out and gives people an excuse. Uh -huh. So I don't necessarily think it's always in the best interest of your client to offer a money back guarantee after a certain period of time. Yeah, I think and what, certainly not and certainly not as a as a substitute for you doing the work to actually make sure you have a decent product 100%. You know, or a decent service level. Hundred <laughs> percent. And 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 I prefer the term that's been um evangelized by um uh, Jay Abraham, which is risk reversal. And if you yeah. can if you can figure out a way to um reverse the risk rather than it being a guarantee. Like a guarantee is a form of risk reversal. And yes, it does work in certain industries and all the rest of it. But if you can figure out a way to reverse the risk to the client, but at the same time, show that they still need to be part of the process to achieve the result. Right. Right. It's a very Absolutely. different but nuanced, um, nuanced thing there. Right. Um, but yeah, and, and I think that, um, yeah, it, it yeah. The word guarantee is is just yeah, but I, you know we had this sort of conversation before. It's it's so interesting though how many people that offer services of any description don't they don't necessarily. I'm going to use the word guarantee, but they don't guarantee the result, or they don't sort of they don't do everything necessarily to achieve the result. It's like well, they didn't achieve 
the outcome. Oh, well, that right. was their fault. Right. Whereas you're a very big believer, as, as I am, that it's kind of your moral obligation to ensure right. that your client gets the result once they come on board and they, they, they give you their, their time, their trust and their cash. It's your moral right. responsibility to help them because you know you've got a process that can get them a result. Sometimes people just need a few extra things along the way. Right. And that to me is barrier to entry in the service business. Like I think you need to be uh, emotionally and morally invested in your client's success. Um, that has to be, you know, if you don't have that, none of the rest of it is going to matter because you're not going to grow. And we all see companies like this, right? We, we see, we have all heard entrepreneurs say, Hey, I'm going to teach you what you need. And the rest is up to you. And, you know, if you don't put into action what I teach you, that's your fault. And there's a lot of that bravado out there. And first of all, that's garbage. <laughs> like, I just want to say right now, unequivocally, do not hire those people, okay? Mm -hmm. It's garbage. And I'll tell you why it's garbage. Because we would never accept that attitude in anything else. I mean, imagine if, you know, you sent your child to school and the math teacher stood up in front of the class and said, I'm going to teach you what you need to know. If you don't do it, it's your fault. You're never going to learn math. You're never going to get out of my class. <laughs> we would immediately say, uh, get my kid out of that person's classroom, right? But somehow, like in entrepreneurship, we think that's cool. No, uh, there's so many other things besides teaching that need to happen uh, for someone to uh, execute, right? A service-based business is essentially a combination of three things. It's skills, accountability, and mentorship. Okay, your client may in fact need to learn skills, but that's not going to be enough to get them to what they want. No. And if you don't believe me, then go get brain surgery from the guy who just read the textbook. Not you're not going to do it right. You know that your client needs more than that. And so this this attitude of, well, I'll do my part and then just throw the rest over the fence to you. That's just not it never works. It doesn't work in any other element of of helping people. And I don't think it's particularly helping people. I just think it overloads them with more stuff, more videos they need to watch, <laughs> you know, or workbooks they need to fill out, but actually no results. Yeah, hundred percent. And um, yeah, it's it's funny how that. And I'm, first of all, I'm glad that um, my maths teacher was never like that. I mean, I literally <laughs> I scraped through like that. I mean, I yeah, dyscalculia and ADHD all mixed up together, which means maths was never my strong point. But I did have a good maths teacher. And that was all about, you know, okay, he's, he's struggling with the skills, but right. the mentorship, the accountability, and, and, and it wasn't just the teacher. It was bringing in the, my parents, I remember at the time to, you know, really help with all that kind of thing. And I scraped through. I just about scraped through. But none of that would have happened if that teacher had stood up there and gone, well, you know, figure it out. You know, I'm right. teaching you what I'm teaching. If you can't do it, it's your fault. Right. Well, Jesus. <laughs> Talk about right. like. Exactly. You know. I started my career as a math teacher. That's why I, 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 taught, <laughs> I taught mathematics at the university. And so I can tell you that doesn't work. <laughs> no, no. But it's an example of, you know, if somebody, somebody with, who can literally not add numbers in their head, literally that is not, a, not something I can do. Um, you know, found out I was ADHD in my 30s, which kind of had a piece of it. But if sure. somebody with those kind of things can be nurtured and taught, to an outcome, which was get your, at the time, GCSEs in maths. Yeah. Then that shows the power. Like just, right. you know, let's, let's step back from, from the business side of things. Right. It shows the, the, the power of 
or the requirement of when you're actually offering an outcome to somebody, it's not just about teaching what you know. That's right. It's that That's accountability, right. that mentorship and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I am, um, I'm aware that we are sort of, you know, coming towards the end of this and there is so much that I could, you know, continue to ask you about it. But I do know that in order for people to get a real sort of deep dive into the actual process of this and literally step by step, how you would go about sort of thinking about this as a business model, how you would go and implement it, how you would create all the, you know, the, the, the org chart that you referred to, how you would plan for your outcome, all that kind of thing. It's within your new book, isn't it? Yes. So the book Scalable Consulting, we basically took everything that we've been doing with our clients and distilled it down and made it super pragmatic. I mean, you mentioned at the beginning, you know, I've, I've, I've written a, a few books and uh, one of our earlier ones from 2015 called Scale. Uh, the feedback we got from that was, oh, this is really good, but it seems kind of theoretical. <laughs> like it's still very conceptual. And that's nice. I mean, sometimes you do need to read a book that's very conceptual, but this is not that book. <laughs> this is, okay, this is what you do in week one. This is what you're going to do in week two. This is what you're going to do in week three. So uh, we took all of the processes that we execute for our clients and we wrote them down uh, and and put everything in there. You literally have the entire plan of attack uh, for how to do this in the book. Um, and it takes you essentially from, okay, so I have a skill where I can execute and I get, I get good results, right? So if you're just starting out, you've never had a client before, this might be a little bit further along for you. But if you've, if you've worked with clients and you've gotten some good results, you've, you've got testimonials from people, you know, by hook or by crook, as we like to say, it doesn't matter how you got it. You, you, you do know how to provide a service to a client, then it's probably a good place to start. And um, I, I do know that, that you can you can get the book, but then you can also um, it, it comes with a or if you go through the the site that we'll, we'll leave the link to. Um, not only can you get the book, but you've got a um, literally. Uh, do you call it the black book or, or or something else that goes with it? Well, which we, is have, we have a couple of things. So with the book, we have what's called the field guide, and the field guide is every every uh, template, every email script, every, you know, page script that we reference in the book. A lot of people like that. Some people don't, you know, some people like to be able to put their own things together and they're really talented copywriters or they're really talented um, with outreach or however. And so they don't really need that. But um, everything that's referenced in the book in terms of, okay, go write, you know, go put a piece of content out there that highlights this. We have a piece of an example in the field guide. So it's a nice companion to the book. A lot of people like both, um, but you know, you can just buy the book by itself too and pretty much get what you need out of it as well. Yeah, I, I wanted to sort of um, mention that, that one as well, because I think as, as we covered there, some people just think process and all the rest of it. Like that field guide essentially gives you all the processes that you need yeah. in order to actually you know, do it. There is nothing left to, you know, there is complete clarity in that field guide, right? Yeah. Well, uh, it's, I, I would like to think it's the, it, it's, it takes the, um, how do I make this work for me part out? You know, um, there's a lot of times, again, when you teach a skill, um, there needs to be mentorship. Like, how do I take this and make it work for my own individual situation? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the templates are like, okay, insert your three bullet points for your, you know, thing here. And so it, it, 
takes that concept and molds it into you know what you're going to do in your own business. Absolutely. And you can get the book and, and, and also you have a, a, a program that actually walks people and you give yeah. them not just, obviously the book will give them the skills, but then you give them additional skills and also the accountability and, and the mentorship as well. So right. I'm sure the, the information you'll be able to find on, on, on the links that we'll leave, um, in the show notes. But, um, if, if somebody's around and, you know, not able to uh, check this out, what's the website to go to, to, uh, to take a look? Uh, scalableconsultingbook.com. So just www.scalableconsultingbook.com. And uh, you can pick up a copy of the book there. And, you know, as you, as you mentioned, there's other options as well, but um, you know, that people should feel free to, uh, you, you know, leverage the elements that they think they need. And, and we we're certainly not trying to push stuff that people don't need. So just take what you need or uh, what, what you think works for you and, and uh, if we can be of assistance, of course, we'd love to be. Um, there's there's elements you can't get out of a book. You know, sometimes you need someone to kick your butt. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. so uh, so we we do we have a program that does it, as you mentioned. But uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great place to start. Yeah, definitely. And um, you know, if people do want to reach out and talk and, and connect with you directly. Um, are you sort of LinkedIn? Are you a user of LinkedIn? Where do you yeah, like connect best? Yeah, LinkedIn's a great place to connect. Um, what people will find is because a lot of people ask me, well, Frank, is this like your thing now? Like you just do this helping consultant thing or no, I'm, I'm actually a, you know, my consulting practice has, has become something else is, you know, we, we've scaled it. And so I use LinkedIn for that. It's still part of my, you know, I'm a working service provider to corporations. And so when you come onto LinkedIn, that's what you'll find that, that profile, but feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Do mention, you know, uh, that you either heard me on Adam's podcast or whatever. I do get a lot of, um, connection requests and it's hard to filter through them. So if you just send me a little note and say, I heard you, then, uh, then, you know, we can connect and, and continue the conversation there. Um, but, uh, LinkedIn is probably the, I'm probably most active there. Awesome. And I'll, uh, yeah, I'll put a direct link to your profile under the uh, show right. notes as well. But, right. um, yeah, Frank, um, I think, as I say, we could probably have, have gone on for a, a long, long time. There's so much in this conversation and, uh, yeah, unfortunately time, mother time has caught up with us. So, um, <laughs> a lot of things for people to digest and take away. And, and, and I definitely suggest that you go and at least check out Frank's book or some of the other resources that he offers, um, on his site as well. So, uh, Make sure you go and do that and um, reach out to Frank with any questions that you have. Connect with him on LinkedIn. Otherwise, Frank, thank you ever so much for joining me. And all i got to say is happy fishing. Thanks so much. So there we go. That's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got some great ideas and, and found it really valuable. And you've got some things that you can now go off and do in your own business to help grow your business and attract and catch more clients. And if you have found it valuable and you can think of just one other person that may find some of these ideas helpful and, and, and help them grow their business, please share it with them because they'll thank you for it. So also don't forget to grab a copy of my book, Conversational Relationship Marketing from the podcast gift page at thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift. And all that's really left with me to say is thank you ever so much for listening today. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there you could be listening to. You've chosen this one. And for that, I am truly, truly grateful. If you're a first time listener or a, or a long time listener and you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please make sure that you do because you'll get updated of the latest episodes every time they come out. 
And if again, you are enjoying it, I'd really, really appreciate a honest rating review on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one personally, and they do really mean the world to me. And yes, they help others find the show. If you're able to do that, again, I massively, massively appreciate it. But until next time, happy fishing.